0: custom to get coffee together, uh, and I was like, PJ, because his name was Joe, so I called him PJ for short. I said, PJ, I met this girl. He said, okay, tell me about her. I said, man, she's great. She can cook, and when I say cook, I mean she cooks good, because I like to eat. And I said, she plays video games with me. She likes the same kind of music I like. And as I continued on, I could see he was looking intently at me, so I said, Maybe I should take a sip of this coffee and see what he's got to say. He said, she sounds like a nice woman, but is she a Christian? I swallowed hard. I said, well, no, she's she's not a Christian, but she's not against me going to church. In fact, she said she would give me rides to the church. And he said, don't do that. Lovingly, he warned me, gently... He he quoted scripture to me. He said, don't don't do that. That's going to lead to a fading faith. He prayed with me, spent time in conversation with me over this, and ultimately, I had already made up my mind. (laughs) See, I said in my head, PJ, he just don't get it. He's a pastor. He's got to see those things. I didn't realize that The moment that I started pursuing her and doing what God had called me not to do, disobeying scripture and not heeding wise counsel, that I was turning away from God and pursuing something else. So for a season, my girlfriend, of course now ex-girlfriend, won the throne of my heart. I had stopped following God and started pursuing something else. See, back then... I thought I knew what it meant to be a Christian. The problem was I didn't have a clear understanding of what the Christian life was. So the way I treated Christianity then was kind of like an all-you-can-eat buffet. Like, I like that. That looks good. Mama knows I don't eat my veggies, so I'm not taking that. And I would pick and choose whatever seems good to me. Today, I want to give us a better understanding of what it means to live the Christian life, to be a Jesus follower. For the past month, we've been in a series on our mission statement so that as a church here, we can understand what it means not only to be a Jesus follower, but what it means to be a Jesus follower here in our context. Our mission statement is this. We honor God by being a growing, diverse community of Jesus followers. And we've gone through this and broken down different parts of that statement to give us as a congregation a better understanding of what it means. Today, we'll specifically be talking about what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be a Jesus follower rather than somebody who simply believes in God. Let's pray and then we'll dive in. Lord, I thank you that you truly are all that we need. Father, I thank you that you've gone before us, Lord. You've made a way for us where there wasn't one. God, I thank you that you love us even when we have not been able to love ourselves at times, Lord. I thank you that you reached out to us before we were concerned with you, God. Help me to communicate your word to your people this morning. It's in your host, son Christ Jesus' name that I pray this. Amen. So before we discuss what Christianity is, we must address what it's not. This is important because researchers say many people's faith falls into the category of a moralistic, therapeutic deism. Now that's a fancy word, it's a fancy phrase. But what it means is that many people who claim Christianity and say that they're Christians truly believe that there's a God out there and he created us and watches over us but we don't need to have a relationship with them. They believe that God wants us to be good and nice, kind of like the Bible says, but that's it. That the goal of life is our happiness and that we should feel good about ourselves. And that ultimately, as long as we're good, we'll go to heaven. See, but this is contradicting what the Bible says Christianity is. And so today we're going to look at the comparison of christianity versus the belief of many americans see the first point is there's no good people we could never get to heaven by being good people we aren't good people see a moralist believes that if they do enough good things like donate to charity maybe don't cuss too much and are nice to their neighbor their goodwill will outweigh their bad but the Bible says, in Ephesians 2, 8-9, it's for grace you've been saved, through faith. This is not of your doing. It is a gift from God. Not a result by works so that no one can boast. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is a gift. It doesn't have anything to do with us. He's the great initiator. We didn't choose him, he chose us. It's because of Jesus' death on the cross, and his resurrection, that we're saved. The word grace itself means that it's undeserved. We can't earn it by being moral people because the reality is we're not moral people. There are no moral people. One of my favorite poets, he's a gospel poet, wrote this poem to describe us trying to get to heaven by good deeds. The only way to get back to God is through perfection. But silly us trying to pass the course of life without referring to the syllabus. This is us. Heap up our good deeds. Pray, chant, and meditate. All of that, of course, is like spraying cologne on a corpse. You could choose to ignore it as if something don't stink. It's like stepping in dog poop and refusing to wipe your shoe. All of that ends with how good is good enough. Take your silly list of good deeds and line them up against perfection. Good luck. That's life past your pay grade. The cost of your soul, you don't have a big enough piggy bank. But you can give it a shot. But I suggest you throw away the list. Because even your good deeds are an extension of your selfishness. If we're honest... Propaganda's right. We can't say we have good deeds without admitting we have mixed motives. You may have heard this said a different way. It's a quote that's pretty famous. It's said, if it weren't for mixed motives, I'd have no motives at all. And I tell you, even I, the preacher, has mixed motives. Now, y'all got promise not to tell nobody, but on Monday mornings, our denomination has a prayer group. And we would call in and pray with one another for our denomination, for our congregations, and I would make it my regular habit to do this. One morning in particular, I was exhausted. I woke up and I said, I think what I need is rest. And before that thought could leave my mind, the following thought was, but how will they know that I prayed? They won't. I hadn't realized that I had mixed motives. And so I said to myself, Yeah, the first thing I need to do is go to sleep and restart my day. And then I'll pray, but I'll pray by myself so that I can eliminate the mixed motive and spend time with God because it's the most important thing. Jesus' followers have mixed motives as well. But here's the good news. If we follow Jesus, if we believe in him, we receive grace. Through Jesus' perfect life, his death on the cross and his victorious resurrection we can be made new and receive a new life my next point is therapy can help us cope but only God can fix what we've broke I wanted to be a poet too (laughs) and he does that through giving us new life being a Jesus follower means that we've gone through spiritual death into spiritual life. No amount of therapy can breathe life into something that's dead. Therapy may help you cope with the pain of the world, but Christ has overcome the pain of the world. He's overcome death. He's overcome the brokenness that we experience and the brokenness within us. His followers have inherited his victory. Ephesians 2, 1-5 through says... As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of the world. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. See, Jesus is the answer that therapy can't give us. And I'm not bashing therapy. In fact, we as a church partner with therapy. I encourage, partner with a therapy uh, business right there called Living Hope. I encourage anybody who needs help to go get it. It's important. But what I'm saying is no amount of therapy can replace what Jesus Christ can do in your life. We will never be able to fix our brokenness apart from Jesus Christ, even with good methods and good motives or seemingly good motives. See, therapy will give you methods for coping. It'll give you a new perspective, but it doesn't address our greater need, which is for a savior. Being born again in Jesus Christ removes us from our state of helplessness and brings us to a life of fulfillment. The moralistic, therapeutic deist desires happiness in this life. As long as things seem good to them, as long as they feel good about themselves, they're happy. But what good is it to be happy, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, it's foolish to believe that we need assistance for happiness and self-esteem in this life, and think that we've got it all together enough to be okay in our next life, in our eternal life. Being born again is not only an answer to salvation. It helps us to renew our minds, to leave behind our old habits and our ways of thinking for a greater way, God's. The scripture says we were dead in our sins, in the ways we used to live. Notice that this is past tense. The statement is past tense because there's an interruption. That interruption is Jesus. Christ stepped in and gave us an opportunity at new life for those who would follow him. We don't have to be slaves to the things that brought us destruction. We don't have to return to the things that have brought shame into our lives. God offers us a better way. One of my favorite pastors, Pastor Michael Todd says, if you give God your heart, He will change your habits. When I was in college, I knew this guy. He used alcohol to cope with the pain he experienced in his life. I often found this young man at the bottom of a bottle drinking to ease that pain. He would have never admitted he had a drinking problem because he hadn't formed a chemical dependence. One morning, we were in the library typing papers, and a young woman behind the desk said, Is he drunk? He was shocked, appalled even. He replied to her, I'm not drunk, but she could smell him. So she said, Sorry, I just assumed you'd been drinking. He said, Oh, I have, but I've only had three beers, to which she replied, Sir, it's 9 a.m. This young man's habit had been to drink a few wine coolers with his breakfast and move to harder stuff throughout the day. It was his way of coping, his way of feeling good about his life. He wanted to numb the pain in anything that told him otherwise. After this young man gave his life to Christ, he stopped turning to alcohol to numb that pain. He no longer found himself at the bottom of a bottle. He found himself at the foot of the cross. When life got hard, he would talk to God and he would ask for prayer. He realized if God could secure his salvation in the next life, he could handle his pain as well. God couldn't help him get through even his worst days here. Jesus did not simply give this man a way to cope. He gave him a life of fulfillment. Jesus gave him a reason to get out of bed in the morning and a purpose to pursue. He went from passing out at parties to passing out Bible studies, flyers for Bible studies. He began to live his life to share God with others. And because of this, God used him. God had changed his life. His transformation didn't happen overnight, though. He, he would stumble back into old habits at times. He would find himself pursuing his old lifestyle, and the grace that had saved him would ultimately sustain him. He walked away from friend groups as he realized that they would only bring him back into his old habits. He did this to, to honor God, those friend groups would say, you know, it doesn't really take all that. God don't really care if you drink a little bit or you smoke a little bit. He really just wants us to be happy, kind of like the therapeutic deism. And he tried to explain to them how God had caught him to something new, caught him to something better, a life of fulfillment. And they said, it don't, it don't really take all that. Through this young man's time investing in God, reading his Bible, and investing in godly community, he began to follow God closer, honoring God. And like a sponge, he soaked up God's truth every chance that he got. He longed to be with the Father and with other people who could cheer him on and help him in his walk. He even found strength to go back to those old friends And to share faith with them. And some of them have reconnected with their faith today. And that young man is still on fire today, spreading God's good news. Because he had had a personal encounter with a God who saves. God is personal. He loves you. And that should change everything. There's a story of an encounter with Jesus and a man with leprosy. Jesus' interaction with this man shows how personal God is. Matthew 8, 1-3 says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, a large crowd followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. To give context to this situation, Jesus has just finished his Sermon on the Mount. This is a legendary sermon that I advise you to read in your Bible sometime. But as Jesus has finished this sermon, his following had grown, and people are starting to follow Jesus literally. He comes over this hill, and there's a man with leprosy who comes along and knows before him. Some context here is that in that day, leprosy was a death sentence. It's incredibly contagious, and so you were cast out of your community. You weren't allowed to touch people, and if you were to come close to people, you had to scream, unclean, unclean, so that they knew that you had leprosy, so they could get out of the way. So in this moment, Jesus is coming over the hill with his following, and he hears, unclean, unclean. Everyone else is probably shrieking back, and this man says, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me as everyone shrieks back jesus steps forward the man is said to be kneeling he's probably bowed face low to the ground he's ashamed of who he has been made to be by society he hasn't seen his family in quite some time he's been removed he's been outcast so with his one hope he says if you are willing you can make me clean Knelt low to the ground, he hears the steps coming closer. Jesus leans in and touches the man. The man had not yet been cleaned. This was personal for Jesus. We've seen in scripture where Jesus says just with a word from a completely different area and heals people just by his word. But Jesus touches this man. See, I think Jesus knew that this man had been out of community for so long. He had been without touch For so long, he had lacked the hug of his wife and kids for so long that Jesus wanted him to feel the loving touch of another. Jesus is personal. Jesus could have said from a distance, be clean, but he didn't. He touched the man. Then Jesus said, be clean. And immediately, the man was cleansed of his leprosy. Just like... With the man with leprosy, Jesus comes into our life. He steps into our mess. He steps into the darkness, the brokenness, the pain that we have, and he touches us and says, Be clean. It was personal for Jesus when he saved us. It cost him his blood, it cost him his life. He defeated hell, death, and rose again on our account. It was personal. See, the God of deism is an unattached God who's far off and out of touch with his people. But the God of the Bible is a God who loves us intimately. He enters into his creation and he reaches out to those, even those who have hurt him with their sin. That's you and I. See, when a love like that penetrates your heart, there's only one response like the young man earlier to crave that love to crave that time with the God who has lovingly restored you redeemed you to share that love because it's changed your life and you know it can change others that is how that new love is expressed in a desire to be with Jesus a time of reading his word to get to know him better Time and prayer to align your heart with His. That love is expressed in serving both in the church and out of the church, being the hands and feet of the one who saved you. You've probably never had a deist or agnostic tell you about their faith. They don't have any good news to share. But we, we know of a loving, redeeming God. We have the best news to share. And sharing good news is natural to us. Think about it. Your kid graduates, you put it on Facebook. You take photos, you share it with your friends. Your favorite store has a sale, you call your bestie. And if they're the same size as you, you tell them, I get first dibs on good stuff. I found the deal. But you share good news. When when your family member beats cancer, you share that news. It's only our natural response to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So then let me ask, does your life reflect a belief of a far-off God? Do you say you believe in God, but lack in spending time with him? Do you treat God like a vending machine, only calling his name when you need something? Consider these things, or is your relationship with God personal? Do you spend time with him to get to know him better? Has the gospel of Jesus Christ taken root in your heart? Have you experienced a life-changing love? Are you sharing your faith with others? After all, it's a sign of how much you have believed God's gospel. I won't pretend to have it all together. I'm a work in progress, and God's saving grace is still sustaining me every day. I'll spend the rest of my life growing and understanding what it means to be a Jesus follower. But here are three things that scripture shows us are non-negotiable to be a Jesus follower. We must recognize our own sinfulness and our need for grace to be a Jesus follower. We must live as someone who was born again, having been raised to a new life with Christ. We must follow God's ways to be a Jesus follower. We must spend time with God daily in his word and in prayer because we have an intimate God, and he desires that relationship with us. See, Jesus followers, they receive grace, they're born again, and they have a personal relationship with God. At this church, there's many ways that you can participate in being a Jesus follower. There's many different ways you can serve here or even partner with us in missions to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. I'd invite you to come and pray uh, with our prayer teams at the left and right of the stage at the end of the service. Uh, Whether it's because you want to give your life to Christ for the first time, reconnect with Christ, or recommit to him, or even if you just have a burden on your heart and you'd like someone to pray with you, to step into your life. If you've never given your life to Christ, and you want to make that decision, we would love to pray with you for that. Bow your heads and I'll pray. Father, I pray for those who have been impacted by the shooting in Buffalo. I pray for those who were hurt, but also their families, God. I pray for... Those who are impacted, who may have just been in the room. Lord, I pray for the, the Shooter's family, and even the Shooter, that you would save his soul. Lord, I lift up to you now the mission trip in London. Would you be preparing the hearts of those who are going on the trip? Would you prepare the hearts of those who we will come in contact with? Those children, as well as their parents at the VBS, Father create a fertile soil for the gospel, Lord. I pray that you would prepare us for our kids' camp and youth ministry, that you would give us an abundant energy so that we may share your love, uh, being in the hands and feet of Jesus. I pray that you would prepare the hearts of those students to hear about your love and to actually embrace it, God. I pray for the people of College Hill, those that don't know you yet, and those who are who are still following you, Lord, I, I pray that you would impact God's show greatly, that you would change the lives of the people within it. Lord, I pray specifically for Sue Briner and Robin Warren who are in hospice, Lord. Would you bring comfort to them, bring comfort to their families in a dark hour. God, would you remind them of your love and that you are the Prince of Peace. Comfort them, Lord. I pray for Lori Kloss, who's recovering from cancer. Father, we know that you are the great physician. You bring the healing, Lord. Would you bring comfort through this season? Would you continue to heal her, Lord? And would you bring peace in the midst of the chaos? God, I pray for everyone on the sound of my voice. I pray that Out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in his love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and how high and how deep is the love of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.